I know there was a lot going on today, but now we're going to focus in. Don't forget about it all. Just put it in the back of your mind for a little bit while we come to the word of the Lord. And, you know, Darren didn't know what I was going to be preaching on this morning, but as we were singing that song today, there's another in the fire. When I'm backed up against the wall, there he is. And, and today we're talking about the forgotten place. Everybody say the forgotten place. Okay, making sure you're all with me. All right, so this begins, one of my favorite, favorite people in the Bible is Joseph. And Joseph's life, as he's this young, favored child of all of his siblings, he's the favorite. Daddy made him his coat of many colors, right? And, and David or um, Joseph has a dream, and in the dream, mom and dad and all of his siblings, all of his brothers are going to be bowing down to him. Now, this was a dream from the Lord. However, Joseph, you know, he's a young guy. And sometimes within siblings, some sibling rivalry can come up. And I'm envisioning him waking up from this dream and saying, running to his brothers, guess what? Guess what? I had a dream last night. And you're all going to bow before me. Can you just imagine if that happened at your breakfast table? I know what would be going on. Not, oh, Joseph, we're so excited to do that. None of that's happening. No, resentment and jealousy begins to be birthed within these brothers. And over time, it begins to, like, just continue to dwell within them until the day comes when dad sends Joseph to go check on the brothers and the brothers see him coming in the distance, and they begin to make plans, right? Let's kill him. Oh, but one of them has some good logic. No, let's not kill him. There's some traitors coming. Let's sell him into slavery, and then we can make some money off of him. Oh, that was great logic. And this is what they do. They sell him into slavery, they take his coat and they dip it in animal blood and they tell their father, look, your son has died. Not a very close-knit family relation going on. And so Joseph finds himself in the home of Potiphar as a slave. Not really in line with the grand dream that he had of everybody bowing to him. And so he does well as a slave, and Potiphar puts everything in his care. And then there comes the day when Potiphar's wife begins to see this young slave, Joseph, and she makes a move for him. Now Joseph has learned some things and he has learned it's time to run and he flees from his wife. And she begins to bring false accusation against him. Well, Potiphar doesn't like this. And so he has him put into prison, right? And this is where we find Joseph now in prison. Still not very in line with this wonderful dream from God that he has had of being this great leader. And so as he's in prison, again, he does well and he succeeds and everything is put under his charge in prison. And then there comes the day when the butler and the baker are put into prison butler bakes the king's bread, Pharaoh's bread, and the butler, the wine bearer, he, the cup bearer, he, he, he sips the wine to make sure it's not poisoned for Pharaoh. And so they are put into prison with Joseph, and they have dreams. And the dreams are very image-based, and so they need an interpretation. And so Joseph brings them the interpretation. Baker's going to die, 
And the butler, the, the cupbearer, is going to be restored to his position. And sure enough, it comes to pass, and the baker is killed, and the cupbearer is restored to his position. And as, he, as, as, as Joseph is interpreting the dreams, what he says to him is, when you are restored, don't forget me. Don't forget me. He sees this as his way out of prison. He's been confined in this prison. He's been confined in slavery with this wonderful dream of, etern- of, of, of leadership and, and people bowing to him. And yet he's confined in this prison. Don't forget about me. This guy's my way out. But here's what happens in Genesis chapter 40. The chief butler is restored to his position, and it says, he did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. The doorway that he thought was his out, they forgot him. And how many of you have ever been in a place in life where it feels like, God, where are you? I think you have forgotten about me. The forgotten places. They're the places of constraint. They're the places where you can't, everything is closing in on you and you can't see your way out. And you feel forgotten. What needs to happen when you feel forgotten? That's what today I want us to take a few moments to talk about. Because the truth is, is that God doesn't forget. But when you're in the place of constraint, it can feel like not just God, but everybody and everything is forgotten. And your dreams begin to die and, and you're that the things you thought God put inside of you can begin to die because you feel like he has forgotten you. And so what needs to happen when you feel forgotten? I have good news for you today. <laughs> well, first of all, you might not like the first verse we're going to read. James chapter 1. Oh, some of you are laughing already because you know. James tells us what needs to happen in the place of trial, in the place of difficulty, in the place of constraint, the forgotten places. And in verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Okay, let's let's just walk through this verse for a few moments. First of all, when you are coming into the trial, what, what is this attitude he's commanding to give? Count it joy. This is very contrary to what your flesh wants to do. It wants to pout. It wants to complain. It wants to, like, have a pity party. But James says, count it all joy. All of it. Every bit of it. Count it all joy. This joy is not happiness. Joy and happiness, two different things. Happiness is very emotional and circumstantial driven. We're talking about the kara of God. We're talking about the joy of God, which is this wonderful little phrase, calm delight. See, when you get into the place of a trial, desperation can come in and you feel anything but calm. You feel the emotions crashing over you. You feel desperation because what's going to happen? It's all out of my control. And what you're feeling in that moment is not calm delight. 
But this is what James calls you to. So my brethren, consider it all a calm delight. I loved that that gave that calmness. It's an assurance to me, an assuring delight in the trial. So count it joy when you feel forgotten, when you feel confined, when you feel the walls closing in, count it joy. Praise the Lord. Not many people stand up and testify, I'm in a trial. I'm so happy. I'm so joyful to be in this trial. I have never, ever heard somebody, I need to testify today. I'm in a trial, and I'm counting it all joy. Nobody ever, never does this. But yet, is this not what James is calling us to? And then when you look at this, if you continue on, when you fall into various trials. And this word fall, you know, it's not always about, yeah, I've had some stupid failures in my life. I've made some stupid choices, and I'm in a trial because of it. These are various trials, and it says that you, he fell, you fall into it. And that word fall means to fall into it so that you're encompassed in it. This is not a fleeting trial. It is a trial that has encompassed you completely. The kind of trial that we don't want to be in. The very trial, he says, to count it all joy. And so think about the life of Joseph. Now, his bragging to his brothers might have initially got him into some of his sticky situation, although their reaction was a little extreme, granted, right? Not many people are (laughs) selling their siblings into slavery. So they are very extreme in their response to the bragging of Joseph. However, Joseph finds himself in a very unfair, did he really deserve for that childish bragging to be enslaved? Did he really deserve to be in prison? He was acting righteously. He was fleeing from this woman, and yet he gets rewarded by being put into prison. In this moment, we are tempted to say, God, I'm doing everything right. Why am I in this trial? And if we're like most people that, you know, oh, there's a commercial. That looks like an amazing supplement. I'm going to give that a try. And so we spend all this money on this amazing supplement because it's going to make me feel 20 years younger. And three weeks in, if you make it that long, you've given up. It doesn't work. Okay, we're not talking. This isn't how it works in Christianity. I'm going to give my life to Christ, and if it, my life doesn't turn around in three weeks, that's it. I'm trying something else. No. These trials, these trials are for actually our good. And yes, he wants to turn our lives around. Yes, he wants to bring restoration. But in the process of this, there is a place for trials that he uses for our good. And it often comes, and it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem like you deserve to be in the trial. Joseph knows right what you're talking about. And yet you notice James does not qualify these trials. Well, count it all joy if you deserve it. Or No, he's not saying you, you were treated unfairly, so that one you don't have to consider joy. No, count it all joy of various trials, however they come to be. Because the truth is is that these trials, if you look at this word trial, these trials are a testing. They're an experiment. They are revealing, they're approving of your faith. 
And we're so busy resisting trials when God is saying, wait a minute, I'm trying to do something here. I'm trying to prove your faith. I'm trying to, I'm trying to show you something about your faith. What does it say in verse 3? Knowing that the testing of your faith. That's what you see. That's what that trial is. It's a testing the testing of your faith. This is a place of doubt. When to think that 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 Joseph was in slavery and in prison and had did not experience any doubt, I don't believe it. I believe there were dark times where he was mentally and emotionally confronted. I've had this dream. Lord, what happened? What, is it never going to come to pass? I feel like that there, we, we are human beings and we have human emotions and thoughts and doubts come in and it's why we have faith. And so in the place of this testing, we have it. If everything is going all hunky-dory in your life, you require no faith. It's in the places of doubt. It's in the places where everything seems wrong that your faith rises and is activated and then put to use. And so God uses these various trials as a testing place for your faith. This faith that is being tested, it is that belief in the power of God, in the word of God, in the promise of God, in the constancy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That faith is tested. And it's tested in the place where everything feels like it's falling apart on you. What does it produce then? It produces a patience. Listen, God's wanting to produce good things in your life. And often, if you think about as a parent, and you have your children, right? As a parent, you, you, you just let them do whatever they want. No, sometimes you let them struggle a bit. Sometimes you let them uh, battle things out for themselves. Why? Because you want them to grow in strength right? You want them to resist, experience some resistance so they can rise up in their own faith, in their own strength. Why? Because we want as parents to produce good things for, in our children. And so God's wanting to produce things in you. And one of them right here, patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Do you think that Joseph required patience as he's sitting in that prison and he thinks, oh, there's my way out. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't get my way out. I have to stay in this place longer. The patience that's required in that moment to endure to stay steadfast, right? That, that's what patience is, to stay steadfast, to stay constant to the Lord, to endure until you're all the way through. That's what trial produces, that kind of patience. So that when the winds begin to blow and you first have your bit of rain falling on you, you're not running out of fear and anxiety and despair, but you're staying steadfast. You're standing with that goal right there of becoming perfect, which is mature, complete. You are perfectly sound as a result of this work of trials. And so we, be, we want our flesh, man wants to resist the trial. And God is saying, wait, but I've got something for you. Stay here. Stay here in this place. Have faith. 
that my promise that I gave to you is yes and amen and will come to its fulfillment. Again, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, if you go on into James, let him ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach and it will be given. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed about. Patience and waiting, and God gives you what you need in the moment. He will be faithful to give you what you need to be able to count your trial as a joy. In Romans 5, it says it like this. It isn't to say this one time in the New Testament. Here we have this again in Romans 5. We also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces, again, this very similar word, perseverance, patience to persevere and keep on going and keep on standing. And perseverance, character. What is he building? Listen, can you imagine if Joseph had become the second guy in Egypt as that young person that had just had the dream? His ego would have been massive. And what kind of ruler would he have been? But his tribulations produced character in him. And so there's this process that trials and tribulations take us through, developing perseverance. I love that that is the first thing because that's the thing needed to stay in the place of difficulty so that we can then have character and character hope, which does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our lives by the Holy Spirit. How is this done? By the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do for a few moments, I've, I've got four things here that I want us to look at as to what should be happening in the place, in the forgotten places. So if I can't have a pity party, if I can't post it all over Facebook so that everybody affirms me in my pity party, If I can't do all of that, what should I be doing in the forgotten places? Number one thing, worship in the forgotten places. If we look back in Acts chapter 16, it says at midnight, Paul and Silas, they're in their prison, and what are they doing they're not sitting there, well, why didn't God rescue us? We were out preaching the gospel. Surely he could have saved us from this prison. Doesn't he care? No. What are they doing? They are praying and they are singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. What were they doing in their forgotten place? They were worshiping. And what began to happen as they worshipped in their forgotten place? There came a shaking. The earth began to shake. The earth began to shake. And the, the doors were flung open. And suddenly the jailer is in fear because all the prisoners were going to escape. But no, 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 no. What did they, they called out to the jailer. Hey, wait a minute. Relax. Nobody has left. And as a result, the jailer's household came to Christ. Why? Because in their forgotten place, they worshiped the Lord. Just a couple of verses quickly. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I read these verses when everything is going wrong to remind me what I should be doing when everything is going wrong. I should be blessing the Lord. I should be continually praising him. 
And you hear me talk about this often because I can remember in the darkest periods of our life, making the choice every time. When Faith was in utero and, and she had heart problems and we were at weekly pediatric cardiologists to, to see the state of her heart and we didn't know what was going to happen. Was she going to make it? Was she going to come through this? And I remember standing on that front row singing, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Whatever happens, I will bless the Lord Oh, my soul. I remember my husband being in despair and being fearful and in depression and not knowing if he's going to make it, saying, I will worship the Lord. And him coming and saying, well, what happens if I die? And I said, I will take the children and we will run to Jesus. We love you, but we trust in Jesus. Right? You have to, in those dark places, Make the choice. I will stand and worship the Lord. Why? His praise habitates. His, his, or his presence habitates within your praise, within your worship. And you need him in the forgotten places. You feel like he's forgotten you. But I tell you, you stand and you begin to bless his name. And his, you will know you are not forgotten. His presence comes in your praise. Hebrews, therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Let, this is the place of the sacrifice. It's no sacrifice to offer worship when everything is wonderful. The sacrifice of praise comes in when everything is going wrong and you're in the forgotten place. Then you have now offered up a sacrifice of praise. And I think it's interesting that from that place it goes on to say, but do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Do you see how those two are hinged together? And sometimes in our forgotten places, we can, it can become all about us. I need to take care of myself. I need, to, I need to be focused on me right now. Well, this isn't how it works in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, when you're in the forgotten places, you begin to remember somebody else. In the forgotten places, when you feel dry and you have nothing to give, you begin to give. When, you be, when you're in the forgotten places and it, and it feels like the depression and the anxiety will overtake you, you find somebody to water so that you yourself will be watered. If you really want in the forgotten places to find the breakthrough then you begin to give out. We don't just, I don't just worship with my song and my voice in the forgotten places. I do something. I offer a sacrifice to him through my actions to other people. That's the way it works in the kingdom of God. Our forgotten places are not excuses for selfishness. You'll stay in the forgotten place in that case. Your way out is the way out of praise and the sacrifice of praise, and that comes through, through voice and prayer, and it comes through action. The second thing in the place of forgotten places and constraints is that you've got to fix your mind. When Darren was sick, his mind was all over the place, and I never knew. I would leave for a meeting, and I would come back, and I never knew what I would be coming back to. He had so much fear. He had so much anxiety. I know this is hard for you to imagine him this way. He was not the man I had married. Fear had gotten a stronghold and depression had gotten a stronghold. And I was like, I was married to a stranger. I'm like, who are you? This is a stranger. And I, I remember at one point I framed the verse in Isaiah for the, the person that fixes their mind on him, that, that, that's the way of peace. 
Because I'm just like, listen, I'm not staying in this place. We got to move out of here. So we got to, in the midst of this fear, we got to fix our minds on the one that can take us out. And so in Philippians, the book of Philippians is written by Paul when he is imprisoned and when he is in a home prison. And so, okay, here's Paul. He's doing all these great things for God, right? So surely the Lord will keep him out of hard places. Well, we know that's not true, don't we? And as he's in prison, what is he doing? He's writing the book of Philippians. And in Philippians 4, 8, I had to memorize this passage as a child for missionettes. And so I, we memorize some of them in the King James Version because it's very poetic and it kind of you get a rhythm going. And so as Paul is in prison, this is what he's writing to the believers. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, there be any virtue, any praise, think on these things. What had he done in his place of constraint? He had fixed his mind. And you have what you need to fix your mind on Christ. He's empowered you to do it if you will train it. If you don't fix your mind in the forgotten places, the devil will torment you with thoughts. If we hadn't fixed our mind, okay, well, in that case, me, I had to be the first one to fix my mind in Darren's illness because his was being ravaged by the fear and the anxiety. And, and if I hadn't made the choice, I would lie awake at night. I would begin to imagine, what do I need to do if he dies? What will happen here? What will happen here? I would be tormented by these thoughts if I had not fixed my mind on the healer and deliverer. you got to fix your mind in the, the forgotten places or the enemy will torment you with what-ifs. So worship, fix your mind. Number three, you got to have community prayer. Okay, what do I mean by that? Acts chapter 12, there's this amazing account of Peter now. Peter's in prison, okay? We've talked about Paul and Silas being in prison. Now we've got Peter in prison. It says he was kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And often when you're in the forgotten place, you want to withdraw and isolate and it's the very time you need to surround yourself with the people of God praying for you. We constantly, when he was ill, we constantly were calling on the elders. To, we need you to come and anoint him with oil. We need you to come and pray. We just kept calling on the elders. Every altar call that there was, he was at it. He would, if he got if he had bothered me three nights in a row, he would call his mom because he knew she would be up in the middle of the night. He, he would call friends, that pastor friends that he knew. What was he doing? He was surrounding himself with the community of Christ to offer prayers for him. And so, as constant prayers are being offered, and Herod's about to bring Peter out that night... Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. Can you imagine? And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. They were making sure he was locked down good. And that's how it feels sometimes in the forgotten places. There's no way out. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. And a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side. I love that. <laughs> you know, sometimes in the forgotten places, we need him to kind of, hey, wake up here. 
We need him to get our attention. He struck him on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off of his hands. And then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real. In this moment, this is happening, and Peter's like, I think I'm having a vision. That's what he thought. This cannot be real. He thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord, and they went out and down the street, and then the angel departed. And there comes Peter knocking on the door where they're all gathered, doing what? Praying for him. We are not meant to be alone. You're not meant to be in forgotten places alone. You've got to reach out to the community of Christ to pray for you. So worship, fix your mind, and reach out to community. And the last thing that we do in the, in the forgotten place is we stand in the presence and favor of the Lord. And we're faithful with what we have in the place of constraint. Joseph, all of his success in slavery and in prison came because the Lord was with Joseph. Because the favor of the Lord was on Joseph and everything he did succeeded. There comes the place in the forgotten place that you just got to gotta stand and declare in faith. The presence of the Lord has marked me. And the forgotten places does not define me, but the presence and the favor of God does. What looks like is all around me and, and surrounding me, it's, it doesn't define me but the presence and the favor of God. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. But you can't have your pity party and the prospering. You got to choose. I'm not saying there's not a place for grief and, and emotions. I, I was just talking to somebody today about that in a hard place that I'm standing and believing for. There are periods where I, I just tell the Lord, Lord, I'm just feeling sad. Lord, I have this longing in my heart. I'm very honest with God about my emotions. But listen, even in the, the, the honesty of emotions, I'm choosing to worship if, I, if I'm worshiping with sadness in my heart, I'm worshiping, right? It's standing in his presence and favor. Okay, now I'm going to tell you one thing that is not happening in the place of constraint, in the forgotten place. There's one thing in all of these accounts that we've been reading that was not happening. Striving to get out. You don't see them trying to get themselves out of the place of constraint. You see them worshiping. You see them praying. You see them staying in the place of faith. You see them still connected in community. You don't see them trying to get themselves making a way out for themselves. In Psalm 37, it says, striving, arrest in the Lord, and do what? Wait patiently for him. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. If you go over to chapter, Psalms is just a great, play, a great book to meditate in, in the forgotten places. 55 says, cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. 
There's this place of incredible trust. You have to trust that, that God, in the place of constraint, when it's in your hands, is a place I can trust because you're working it for my good. And so I can be at rest in that place and I can be patient because I know I shall not be moved except for forward and upward, right? And then the promise of Psalm 18, this is one, a verse that I have often meditated in. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. This is the place of trusting that God, he wants his ultimate goal is not just to have you sit forever in constraint, but to bring you out to the spacious place. Psalm 66. For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. There's no way of getting the refinement without the refiner's fire. It's the process it has to go through. You brought us into the net. I was, when I was preaching this in Petersburg, I was talking about watching the show Alone, um, you know, where they drop people off into the wilderness to see how long they can survive. And, and so they often will put out gill nets, and so when the tide goes out, they set up these gill nets between two stakes, and then the tide comes in. And then the next day, when the tide goes back out, they'll go out to see if anything got caught in the net. And sure enough, they'll find some fish. And what are the fish doing? They are flapping their heads off, trying to get out of the place of constraint. And sometimes we're like that. We're flopping and trying desperately to get out of this net that God set in place. <laughs> you have brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You've caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But why? Because we serve this God that just wants to make us suffer? No. You brought us out into rich fulfillment. The whole goal is rich fulfillment in spacious places for you. If you'll trust the process he's taking you in. Listen, here's what happens. If you will cease trying to get out of your place of confinement and just worship and just fix your mind and just reach out to the community and just stand in the presence and favor of God, then here's what will happen. In Genesis 41, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, right? Pharaoh then, two years later, two years after Joseph is forgotten by the butler. Can you imagine? He thought he was getting out, and he sat there two more years until Pharaoh had a dream. And suddenly the butler's like, oh, wait a minute. I know a guy. I know a guy, and he's brought into Pharaoh's presence, and he begins to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And so Pharaoh says to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. In one moment, in one moment, Joseph is in prison, and the next he is second in command over all the land. Listen, only God can do that. He could not have worked him. Who was this young kid? He never would have found that place of authority and influence had it not been for the constraining places, the forgotten places. They positioned him to step in 
to the promises of God for his life. And so the very thing we resist is the very thing God is saying, this is your launch pad. Why are you resisting my launch pad? This is in your life because I want you to get somewhere. Because I have a higher purpose than what you can see. You got to decide how you're going to live in constraint. Not everything that happens is because Satan is trying to steal, kill, and destroy your life. I guarantee you, though, if you do not choose to live in the place of constraint wisely, he will make the most of that opportunity to steal, kill, and destroy. But if you will take it, and you will do all of these, if you will worship, if you will stay in that place of faith and fixing your mind, if you will cease all of your own striving and trust God with the process, he'll develop you and he'll position you. And it's because of the forgotten place. The forgotten place is your place. It's, it's your friend. And we too often are resisting it. And so this morning, I want us to stand together That's right. You all have to move. Stand up. <laughs> you can just wake her up and let her receive too. See, Amy is such a soft-hearted mama. She is awake. Izzy, stand with us. <laughs> You're in youth group now, man. <laughs> I know. That's what happens when I'm your youth pastor. <laughs> It's your initiation into the youth group. (laughs) If you are in a forgotten place, here's what I want us to do. We're not going to spend long here. But listen, a lot of these things that I said you can do at home. Well, you have to do at home. Because when you wake up Monday and your job is part of your forgotten place, You have to make your choice at that job, right, to worship and to stand. But today, if you're going to embrace the community of Christ, that means that you've got to be honest about your place of constraint. We don't all have to just be okay all the time. Sometimes we're in the dark places of the journey, and we need to let people in. We need to let people come alongside of us because that's why we're here. Because they've been in the forgotten place, right? How many of you have been in a forgotten place before? Yep. See, they, we all know what it is to be in a forgotten place. And you need those people praying for you and surrounding you. And so today... Brandon's just going to play softly for a few moments, but I don't want to leave here today without giving you an opportunity to invite the community of Christ to surround you with prayers in your forgotten place. Amen? And so I'm going to pray for you, and as I pray, if you're saying, I'm in a place, then, and hey, it's exciting. That means God's doing something. He's preparing you for something. I want you just to step forward so that the community can surround you in prayer. Okay? Don't be ashamed. There is no shame. We just all said we've all been in the place, right? And, And so don't be afraid to step out and just say, here I am. And so, Father... We just stand as as the body of Christ. You are the head. We are the body. And you've set this up so that we need one another. The arm needs the leg. The leg needs the hand. We all need one another. And so this morning, God, as, as those are coming forward that are saying, I'm in this place of forgottenness, and I need people to pray for me, As they begin to come forward, Holy Spirit, it is by your power that we are able to step up in the the forgotten places and engage. 
And I ask that you would begin, even now, to put in the hope, the hope of the promise inside of them. And so if that's you, I want you to go ahead and make your way. And then I want some of you that have already, you've walked this process, I want you just to begin to surround those that come forward and just begin to pray prayers of agreement of faith over them. Come on now, don't let them wait by themselves. Come and surround them. Thank you, Lord. And if you're not coming up to pray, then I want you to see who's coming. This is not a a secret altar call. That would defeat the point. This is to see who I need to be surrounding, who I need to be covering, because there's going to come a day when you're going to need them to cover you and to surround you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And so right now, Jesus, you are our good shepherd, and we declare that, and you are leading us by the way that we should go. And you lead us into different pastures, and each pasture is a little different. Each pasture has what we need for that moment. It has the the food, the sustenance, that we need for that moment. And I ask that you would release your daily bread right now, your manna bread, to those that are in the place of constraints, that are surrounded, they're backed against the Red Sea, and the enemy is coming toward them, and it seems that there's no way to go. But God, you suddenly appear on the scene. And so I ask that faith would be stirred up today, that despair and discouragement would find no resting place, but that faith and courage would rise up in each one today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Lord, as we go about our weeks this week, I ask that you would help us to be encouragers that you would help us to release courage to people, to release faith to people that are in difficult spots. That you would give us connections, God, even with, with unbelievers, people that have not found you, Christ, that you would send us to their forgotten places, to their places of brokenness and constraint, to invite them into relationship with the one that makes the way gives hope and restores in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now listen, when Peter was in prison, they were committed. They were committed to praying for one another. And and Jesus said that his house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations that begins right here. And so I want you to commit to praying for one another this week and reaching out and encouraging them in Jesus' name.